You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. Please reach for your Bible. Uh, just now we're going to read from God's Word before we consider it together. And turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 as we continue in this series, Among Us. And this week the title is that Jesus pains with us. Jesus pains with us. And please turn with me to John uh, chapter 11. And we're going to read from verse uh, 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that a Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. But when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard, have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Then he had said these things. He cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Amen. We pray that God will bless his word to us. Away back in March 2017, Sarah was at this point in the middle of her PhD, and she had to go on many different trips to do some research, so I call them holidays. And in March 2017, Sarah had to go away for a good number of days to London while I was at college at that point. 
And while I must have said to my, my friends, my classmates at the time, maybe looking for some sympathy that I was being left alone for the guts of a week, and with the many different places Sarah had a visit for her research, she had to plan out each day what was going to happen, when and where, so that she would know, but then also that I would know. So on one particular day, she was to go to a, a museum in the morning to do her work, what she needed to see there and to look at and to take pictures of and to research there. And then in the afternoon, on the way back, to walk past uh, Westminster Abbey, the Houses of Commons, across the bridge and back to the hotel just across on the south bank. And on Wednesday afternoon, that was, that was the plan. And Wednesday was a half day in college. And well, I had nothing to do, so I went to watch a rugby match. And while I was watching the match, I received a call from one of my friends uh, from college. David, have you heard from Sarah? I know why. Well, he had to tell me then that what had happened in London that day. On Westminster Bridge, you'll remember that there was an attack. Off the phone, obviously, heart sunk, sick to your pitless stomach, and more than an hour later, trying to get through to Sarah, eventually got through. Sarah flipped her day around. She went across in the morning and spent the afternoon in the museum. Delighted, of course, but it felt much longer than it really was. And many of you have been there, haven't you? Waiting to hear news, sick to the very pit of your stomach, heart hitting the floor, heart missing a beat, maybe in these last months waiting on a letter uh, or outside in the car to hospital or waiting for that dreaded call. In really troublesome times, the words in our lips are that of Mary and Martha. They both greet Jesus in the same way. I wonder, did you notice? Lord, if you had been here. Lord, in my trouble, if you had been here. And in John 11, what we learn is that we find comfort in Jesus in life's troubles. We are finding comfort in Jesus in life's troubles because in the last year, you, like, like me, have maybe stood over graves of the people that you love so dearly. You've been troubled by incredibly worried and anxious about the scenario that we are in, involved in. We've been troubled by the evil in this world, been troubled by life's circumstances in this world. But it's in Jesus we find comfort in life's trouble. As we read John 11, Mary and Martha, they are mourning the death of their brother after an illness. And we read that many Jews come to console them, some of the things that we, have been, we haven't been able to do. And Martha hears that Jesus is coming and wants to go to Jesus. And Mary hears that Jesus is looking for her, and she gets up too to, to find Jesus. See, for both Mary and Martha, in their mourning, in their weeping, in their trouble, they look to Jesus for comfort, and so must we. Why? Well, in Jesus... We find comfort in life's troubles because Jesus pains with us. Jesus pains with us. As we enter this story, Jesus is in Jerusalem and Bethany, only a few miles away, about two, so from La Comfort to the other side of Desert Martin. And Jesus receives the news of a, a friend who is ill. And to delay in visiting a friend that's ill is surely strange and odd. But it's exactly how God plans to use the situation. 
Jesus' delay and action in going to, to visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, there's a purpose to it. And we could just apply that very quickly to our prayers, seemingly delayed answers, but there's a purpose often beyond our understanding. But Jesus, we're told, and his disciples continue for another two days after being told in the beginning of John chapter 11. And then in verse 11, you'll see there that Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, that he's dead. Jesus knows without being told, and off they travel to Bethany. And as he approaches, Martha meets him, and then later, Mary. They go to Jesus. I'm sure there's been times where you've arrived at a house, and you've seen the grief that is before you. And we get upset too, don't we? Especially if it's someone that we know and love. A few weeks ago, we learned that Jesus sympathizes with us. He not only understands what's going on, what we're going through, but he goes through it with us. And here we have a, a living example of that. Jesus on earth, painting with people he loves. We see the emotions of Jesus here, don't we? In verses 33 to 38 of John 11. These emotions of Jesus are perfect. Jesus never sinned. These are right and appropriate responses. Jesus is deeply moved in, verse, in his spirit in verse 33. He is greatly troubled in verses 33 and 38. And then, well, the shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept, he weeps, clearly paining with Mary and Martha. Jesus enters into the suffering of them. Jesus is overcome with grief, with pain. Why? Because Jesus is angered by death. In verse 33 and 38, these words deeply moved. It's really hard from, for the Greek to be translated into English well. But sometimes both Hebrew words and Greek words, they give us a picture of what it's like. Okay, so we might say this about someone, he was blazing. Now, he wasn't literally on fire, that person. That person would have been really angry. And here it is a picture of a, a snorting horse. So when applied to humans, it's being outraged, it's anger, it's indignation, displeasure. Jesus is deeply moved. He is angry. But why is he angry? Verse 33, he's deeply moved when he sees all the weeping. Verse 38, he's deeply moved when he comes to the tomb. Jesus is paining. He is angry at death because he sees what death has done. There's weeping because of death. There's a body in the tomb because of death. Jesus pains with us because he is angered at death. He is hurt with all the weeping he sees. He is moved in his very being because of death. It's the consequence of sin and the one who planted it in the world, Satan. Jesus is angry in his spirit because death and pain that surrounds him is all because of sin. He is angered because Jesus really cares. If he didn't care, he wouldn't be moved, but he is. Jesus is walking through the consequences of death. He looks and shakes his head, anger written all over him, saying, this is not the way it is supposed to be. On television, you'll be familiar with many uh, TV adverts for charities. It might be a depressed-looking donkey or a very low-looking dog or people who are really struggling in Africa, for example. And those pictures 
they pain us, don't they? Because we know that that's not right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And we could even say that of Friday. School's not the way it was supposed to be. Work, church, is definitely not the way it's supposed to be. Our business is not the way it should be. And Jesus knows death is not the way it's supposed to be. Jesus is angry at death. We also see Jesus' anger whenever he, he drives out the, the money changers in the temple. You'll remember in the Gospels. But this is what Dean Ortland says about Christ's anger. His righteous anger reflects his heart, his tender compassion. But because his deepest heart is tender compassion, he is the quickest to get angry and feels anger most furiously and without a hint of sin, tainting that anger. Jesus pains with us. Jesus has anger at death because his deepest heart for us is his tender compassion. Jesus knows it's not the way it's supposed to be. How do we balance Christ's anger and his grace? Well, imagine a, a father getting angry if a daughter's wrong, perhaps. That response would be tainted with sin, but Jesus' response here is not. Whenever we are angered by injustice, maybe sickness or death, full of worry in our lives, whenever a family falls out or there's work problems, and we are angered by it, so is Jesus. Jesus pains with us in life's troubles because he knows it's not the way it's supposed to be. He's not angry at his disciples or Mary and Martha or anybody there approaching, approaching him. It's because of what surrounds him. Death, weeping, mourning, sadness, and he is angry at the one who has brought it. Jesus pains with us in his anger, but he also pains with us in love. Very simply, Jesus loves. But oh, how we need to hear it on this Valentine's Day. Jesus loves us in our pain. If you turn with me and just glance your eye down in the beginning of John chapter 11, everybody knows Jesus loves these people. The message he receives about Lazarus, it doesn't even mention Lazarus, does it? It says, the one whom you love is ill. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, Jesus loves, which makes verse 6 utterly remarkable. So when Jesus heard, he stayed two more days. But we've covered that. And then again, in verse 35, Jesus wept. And why does Jesus weep? What do the people say whenever they see Jesus cry and sob? Verse 36, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Jesus is not a child putting on the waterworks or some show to get some sweets out of a shop. These are genuine love and genuine tears. Jesus is perfect and holy. He doesn't put on a show. But here we see the very heart of Jesus moved. Yes, in anger, but in love. He pains with Mary and Martha. He pains with us, the ones he loves. Jesus tears are a sign of his love for the people. When we are weeping the loss of a, a friend or a loved one in recent weeks or even in, in recent years, the loved one that we still weep over after many years of being alone, 
the tears shed because of love and heartache, the tears shed in our disappointments and worry, our, our insecurity and illness, Jesus pains with us because Jesus loves. Christ on earth shed tears, the people he loved. He cares deeply for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he loves you, his people. Once again, as we go through this Among Us series, we see the emotions of Jesus. We see the very heart of Jesus and his love for people of this world. That's why in life's troubles, whatever that might be, our mental illness, our surgeries and treatments, our sin, our addictions and sin that seem to have a grip on us, heart problems and heartbreaks, broken relationships, Jesus pains with us and he weeps with us in trouble. Jesus is not ignorant or oblivious to our pain and our sin, but he pains with us. He weeps with us. Jesus' life is subjected to all the fallenness of this world that we experience today, but Jesus feels it more acutely because he is perfect and holy and he is God. Jesus loves in the trials that we are enduring, physical or mental, the loss that we are mourning. Jesus weeps. Jesus pains with us. He has an emotional heart full of love. Whenever Mary and Martha go through the mourning for their brother Lazarus, you can imagine the people closest to Mary and Martha would be most upset for them. Just like us, it's our, the loss of a, a best friend's mum or dad, and we feel it really for them. Not for someone away, somewhere else that we don't know, but someone we really love and know really well, we feel for them. And that is Christ's heart for us to a purer and greater degree because he is God. He pains with the people he loves. Jesus is deeply moved, greatly troubled. He weeps. He truly pains with us. It shows us his humanity and his divinity and how he responds. Jesus saw grief and trouble before his very eyes. And we know our Lord Jesus is not on the throne passively, but he knows our grief and trouble today. He knows it's not the way it's supposed to be, and he's angered by it, and he weeps with us. What a comfort it is to our hearts to know that Jesus sees our pain, feels our pain. He is angered by our pain, and he loves us because he has a perfect heart. In Jesus, we find comfort in life's troubles because he pains with us. And then secondly, because Jesus has power over death. We find comfort in life's troubles because Jesus has power over death. We're all confronted all the time, aren't we, with lifestyle choices and health decisions. Things we're told that maybe help us to live longer. So, for example, the suggested for the world to stop drinking and add 10 years to your life. If you cut out saturated fat, you add years to your life. If you go vegan, very specifically, you add eight and a half years to your life. If you laugh three times a day to lower stress and anxiety, you will live longer. And all those things, they all seek to avoid death or to put it off for another time. And it's really natural to do so. We don't want to face it but we are utterly powerless to it. We find comfort in life's troubles because Jesus has power over death. 
Why are things not the way they're supposed to be? Sin. Why will we all face death? Sin. What do we need Jesus to deal with? Sin. Jesus has power over death because Jesus' identity is life. Jesus' identity is life. Martha meets Jesus and she clearly has an understanding of the final resurrection. But then Jesus says these wonderful words in verse 25, words that many of us will know. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus is saying to Martha, Martha, this isn't just a far off hope that you're looking forward to, but it's hope of life now. Hope for Martha then, it's hope for us today. Jesus is the only one who can bring life because he is life. Whenever John uses the word life in his gospel, whenever Jesus uses it, it's so much more than an existence on earth. It's a fullness of life, a life that can only be had in Jesus. Yes, we live physically, but Jesus says there's more to it. There's a spiritual fullness of life in him. And for Christians, we have a fullness of life. Yes, our bodies will die and decompose, but the fullness of life in Jesus is now for the believer. Our life is hidden now in Christ. So he will live even though we die. That is what Jesus is saying. It's a promise of a future resurrection, but that spiritual eternal hope that death cannot fully destroy us. Yes, it will destroy our bodies, but we will live on for we are united to Jesus. Jesus' identity is life because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. But he also gives us proof of his identity, doesn't he? Proof of his identity as life. You know, if someone was to claim to you, maybe I could say, they could say I could walk, I can walk on my hands uh, for a mile. You would say to them, well, prove it. Prove that you can walk on your hands for a mile. Or it might have a passport to prove identity or maybe a, a seal in the olden days to prove that you were from the king or a message was sent from the king. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And when Lazarus comes out, that proves exactly who he is. Verse 41 and 42, Jesus prays. And then in verse 43, in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine being the people standing, watching what was going on? Tears on Jesus' face. The stone rolled away. Perhaps the odor that was, Jesus was warned about. And out from the grave comes a walking mummy, a man, wrapped in linen cloth. It's the glory of Jesus just before them, isn't it? That Jesus truly is the resurrection and the life because he has proven it. Lazarus is just a preview of this. What we will receive later in the resurrection is a new imperishable body, but now Jesus gives us life everlasting. A resurrection life is what this miracle points us to. See, no one could dispute Jesus' claim anymore. Jesus is life, and this is proof of his identity. No one could dispute what happened to Lazarus. Four days in the tomb, mourning all around him. Everybody knows Lazarus is dead, but now he is very much alive. All this to bring glory to Jesus. See what happens next in John 11. You'll see maybe it titled, is the plot to kill Jesus. 
What do you do with the one who is the giver, sustainer, restorer of life? Kill him. That's the response. Preposterous. Crazy. This defeat of death that Jesus performs shows that he is the life. The resurrection of Lazarus is a foretaste of what is to come. It points us forward to Jesus' own death later on. But for Jesus to be resurrected, he has to die. There's the anticipation of Jesus' death. And why does he have to die? Well, so he can bring life. Jesus takes on our sorrow, our grief, our shame of our sin, the guilt of our sin, our very sin itself. And what is it? It's not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. We're all guilty of that. And Jesus takes it for us. That's why he dies for us. And it brings us to this resurrection Sunday where the tomb is empty, the glory of God revealed in all of its fullness. Jesus has life. He has power over death because he defeats it. Yes, and bringing Lazarus from the grave, but he overcomes and conquers our very sin and Satan himself. Jesus' resurrection gives the sure and certain hope to the believer. It gives Christians courage in the face of death, even if we think it is miles off or we're getting on in years and it is nearby. To believe in Jesus is to have life. Jesus is life. He gives us a fullness of life. And the question really has to be asked what Jesus asks Martha. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Is Jesus life for you? Jesus is calling each of us into a new life. Martha has to put her trust not just in a concept, not just in the words that Jesus had said, but in the very person of Jesus. Is Jesus life for you? Out of death, Jesus will bring life because Jesus gives his life unto death. In life's troubles, and there are many of them, where do we find comfort? You know, some children like to suck their thumb for comfort or hold on to their blankie or teddy or grab a hug. Whenever you get older, it might turn to alcohol or drink. You might feel sorry for yourself and well, get a tub of ice cream and a spoon. You might get comfort in the music you listen to to calm you down or a 30-second sound bite of a video that you enjoy. But in the face of mourning, treatment, surgery, recovery... It's Jesus we must turn to and bring, because he brings us comfort in life's troubles. He is the one who pains with us. He is the one who is deeply moved by the consequences of sin, and he has power to overcome death. The very heart of Jesus is to give us life. B.B. Warfield was a, a theologian who worked in Princeton in the United States of America, and he married Annie, at the age of 25, and they went to honeymoon in Germany. And he and Annie were on a walk on some hills and mountains, and th there was a sudden thunderstorm. And what quite happened, no one is really sure, but it's quite likely impossible that his new bride on their honeymoon was struck by lightning. She survived, but 
she was never the same again. She needed a lot of care for the rest of her years. She really struggled to communicate in general and engage with others. A real nervous disposition, and she physically struggled in many ways. Baby Warfield was sole care for 39 years. We can only imagine the, the pain he and they experienced, the questions they may be asked. But listen to what he has to say about the heart of Jesus in John 11. The raising of Lazarus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance and an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell. What John does for us is to uncover to us the heart of Jesus as he wins for us our salvation, not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe. Jesus smites on our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, he has felt for and with us in our oppression and under the impulse of these feelings has wrought, has produced out our redemption. The heart of Jesus, because he pains for us, because he loves us, he brings us salvation because he has felt and he is with us in our day of trouble. Jesus pains with us, yes, but he most gloriously, he saves us. Yes, life's troubles are not the way it's supposed to be, but Jesus has felt for it and with us in our trouble, and he has power over death to redeem us, so that we, his people, whom he loves, will have life in all of its fullness and look forward to that final resurrection day, yes. But we also, right now, have eternal life pumping through our veins, and we have comfort that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Let's spend some time in prayer and respond to God's word. Let's pray.